It is so great to see all of you. Good morning. How's everybody today? Are you good? Good. Good. Well, I uh, also want to welcome everybody online. Thanks for being part of worship today. I'm a huge Chick-fil-A fan. I don't know if any of you like Chick-fil-A. And I'm sorry to even bring this up on a Sunday. Because you can't even go to Chick-fil-A after church and pick any up. So I apologize for that. But I love Chick-fil-A and um, I'm a big fan. I have a friend who had a friend come from Australia and she tried Chick-fil-A for the very first time. It like blew her mind. She was so thrilled. She's like, I don't know what they're doing to that chicken, but it's working. (laughs) And uh, it is good. It's good. Um, And I've loved Chick-fil-A for a long time. And uh, I started to hear this rumor. I don't know if you've heard it before that... um, when a new Chick-fil-A opens up, the first hundred customers get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Have you guys heard that rumor? You guys heard that rumor? I, that, that rumor is actually true. And uh, years ago, uh, Chick-fil-A opened up back in Colorado in my hometown. And um, I was so excited. Like, this has been a lifelong dream of mine to be one of the first 100 to get a free year of Chick-fil-A. And so this new store was opening up in my hometown. And uh, I was so excited and I was ready to do whatever it takes. I was going to camp out. I was going to lay on the sidewalk. I was going to stand in line, like whatever it takes. uh, Until a giant snowstorm hit the night before and it was below zero. And that's where I draw the line. I was like such a wimp when it comes to cold. So I was like, well... I guess not. (laughs) So strike one. And then, um, of course, uh, some of you uh, work at Chick-fil-A actually here today. And you know that a new Chick-fil-A opened up just down the road in Horsham. And I was pumped about that. I'm thinking, this is my chance to be one of the first 100 and to experience the lifelong dream of Chick-fil-A for a whole year for free. And I was getting ready. You know, I was going to wait in line, do all that, whatever it takes. And then coronavirus hit. And as everything was getting canceled, the uh, Chick-fil-A event got canceled. And I was, I was sad. I was bummed. I didn't know what to do. It was like strike two. I'm like, all right, God, I guess, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And then um, the day the store in Horsham opened up, I got a text from a Chick-fil-A angel. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning, and the text said, if you're, said, uh, 7 o'clock should be good this morning. I'm like, good for what? Like, I had no idea what that meant, but I wasn't about to wait around and find out because it was 7.15 and Chick-fil-A was going to open up at 8 o'clock. So I'm like, I don't know if it's like free chicken minis. Like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but if it's Chick-fil-A and it's free, I'm there. So I quickly put on my clothes, kissed my family, ran out the door, got in my car, drove straight to Chick-fil-A, and I was the fourth car in line. I have no idea why I'm there, but I'm in line. Eight o'clock, the store opens up, and they begin handing out a free year of Chick-fil-A to the first hundred customers. I don't know how that happened, but glory to God, I can chalk that off the bucket list, and uh, like a lifelong dream has been fulfilled. So why do I tell that story besides making us all really hungry right now? Um, The reason I tell this story is because there was no way I was going to ever earn that. 
Like, I was not going to make it through the, the snowstorm. <laughs> I was not going to be able to stay awake all night. There's no way I deserve that by any means. But it was an act of everyday grace um, from my Chick-fil-A angel. It was just an act of grace. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about this idea of grace. Isn't grace amazing? That we are saved by grace. I couldn't earn it. I could never deserve it. But Jesus paid the price. And because of an act of faith in Jesus, we've received the greatest gift of all. And that's forgiveness of sins, and it's a brand new life with God in Jesus Christ. It's, and it's all by grace. It's his grace that saves us. But isn't it amazing grace doesn't end there? Um, I heard somebody say that Christians consume grace at a far greater pace than even sinners. They said Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, oh my goodness. Oh. This is going to be a tough morning. <laughs> they said Christians consume grace like a 747 jet. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because not only were we saved by grace, but every single day it's his grace that's changing us. And it's his grace that's sustaining us. And that's what we saw last week, where Paul says, I boast in my weakness. Who boasts in their weakness? Well, Paul did, because he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. His grace is sufficient for me. So grace is this powerful thing in our life. God's grace is with you. Do you understand that? His grace is with you. His grace is enough. Grace is this powerful, amazing thing in our life. But here's what's even crazier. That the story of grace doesn't end there. As Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. And so grace isn't just something to receive. Grace is something we get to share with the world. And that's what I want to talk about today. How do we take this grace of God that we've received? And how do we begin to extend God's grace to the people around us? How do we channel the grace of God to the lives of people around us every single day? Because grace shouldn't end with us. Grace should continue on like a, like a wave into the lives of people who are around us. And I was just thinking about this. There's like, without a doubt, I'm going to have an opportunity to show somebody grace every single day. You know what I'm saying? Like, without a doubt, you're going to be in a situation that frustrates you or annoys you or that tests your patience. Like, every single day is an opportunity to show somebody grace. It could be your neighbor. It could be your brother or sister. It could be uh, that co-worker who has different political views than you. It could be the person that cuts you off in traffic. Like, there is going to be an opportunity today where your ability to show God's grace is going to be tested. And how are you going to respond? There are people in our lives who are E-G-R. Do you guys know what that stands for? Extra grace required. 
Okay, don't elbow the person next to you. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? There are people in our life who seem to push us to the limit, and they test our patience, and they are EGR. Extra grace required. You have a person like that in your life? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Showing grace is not always easy. But you and I who've received great grace, we ought to be the very first ones to extend it to others, right? How do we extend the grace of God? To even sometimes difficult people in our life. How does grace flow into our our homes and our relationships? How does it flow into our workplaces? Where we're not just the recipients of grace, but we're like the channel of God's grace to the world around us. So to help us answer that question, I want to look at what I think is probably one of the most profound stories of grace in the entire Bible. And uh, it's really tucked away. Uh, It's buried there in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible... um, Pull that out. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And um, you can uh, pull out your Bible, turn it on, if you got one of those Bibles, and head on over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to look at the story today of David and Mephibosheth. And somebody, I said that's to somebody, and they're like, bless you. I'm like, no, Mephibosheth. <laughs> yeah, and you have, to, you have to practice that when you're warming up for preaching, because You know you're going to mess up that. Uh, Mephibosheth. Guys, this might be a story you haven't heard before in 2 Samuel 9, the story of David and Mephibosheth. Um, And it may not be familiar to you, but it is one of the most beautiful stories of grace in the entire Bible. And um, this is a powerful story of grace shown to an unexpected person in an unexpected way. And as we look at this story today, we're going to... We're going to look at it, and then we're going to see that this story in the Old Testament of David and Mephibosheth is really a picture of the radical grace that God has shown every one of us. It's a picture of his grace to us. And number two, it's an example of how we can extend the same grace to others. So that's what we're going to see. We're looking at the story of David and Mephibosheth, Chick-fil-A. Just keep getting that out of the system. David and Mephibosheth. It's a picture of God's radical grace for us, and it's a picture of how we can extend that grace to people around us. So we're going to pray, and we'll dive in to our message, which is entitled Grace in Everyday Life. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together in person, online, um, and we believe, like your word says, that the spirit of glory and of grace rests upon us. And so we ask, God, that by your spirit that you would open our eyes to the ocean of grace that is available to every one of us today. Oh, Lord, just show us, God, the riches of your grace. We are so unworthy. We're so undeserving. Help us today to be captured by your grace. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at this story. It's the story of David and Mephibosheth. It's an amazing story of grace found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to give you a quick background to the story. There's a king in this story, and the king is King David. David has grown rich. 
He's powerful. He's winning victories. He has secured the throne. This is King David. Right? He now has established the throne over Israel as Israel's second king. Okay, who was the first king? You can say it through the mask if you need to. Saul, right. Now, in those days, the kingship went from the father to the son, right? And so kingship was, was to pass from Saul to his son, Jonathan, to one of Jonathan's sons who was named Mephibosheth. But that's not how the story goes, is it? Because who's the second king? David. What happened? Saul and Jonathan are fighting a battle. And Saul and Jonathan die. David is clearly the one who's rising up to take the throne. And Mephibosheth is just a little boy at the time. Not really ready to take the throne. Like Zeke, maybe. Not quite ready. Someday, Mephibosheth is just a boy. And so the nurse grabs Mephibosheth. The nurse is taking care of this, this future king. Grabs Mephibosheth. They run for their lives. She is in such a panic. She's moving so quickly, she drops Mephibosheth. He lands on his feet. He, he cripples his feet because of the fall. And he's going to be crippled for the rest of his life. Why is Mephibosheth running for his life? Because he is the living heir of the king, the first king of Israel, isn't he? And in those days, David's rising up. He's, he's taken the throne. In those days, what did a king do to any rival to his throne? Killed him. Yeah, that's right. It's like the, uh, the crown... TV show, to quote Queen Elizabeth, one doesn't often meet a former king. Former kings are usually dead. And that's what everybody's thinking. David's coming to the throne. He's going to kill all his rivals. And yet, what does he do? This is the story of what David does. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. King David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul... To whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Is there, anyone, is there anyone in Saul's house, the previous king, that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan is the king's son. David and Jonathan grew up together. They're like brothers. They're best buds, right? And, and, uh, and Jonathan's the king's son, and yet he has the insight to realize that he's not going to be the king someday. David is actually going to be the one to be the king. But because they're so close, because they're tight, they, they say, we don't want the crown to come between us. And so they make a pact, like brothers do, and they say, this crown is never going to come between us. We are always going to protect each other. We're always going to preserve each other. And David and Jonathan, Jonathan make this pact. And of course, Jonathan dies. David becomes king. He establishes the crown. And the very first thing John, uh, David's thinking is, is there anyone I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? We made this pact. I'm going to keep that promise. Is there somebody for Jonathan's sake in his family that I can show kindness to? 
And so he asks the question. And uh, they do some research, collect some data. And they bring in a guy named Ziba. Verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Remember, any, any other king would have wanted any rival dead. And, and David's saying, is there anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show whose kindness? God's kindness. David wants to show, isn't this beautiful? God's kindness. Somebody else. Not just kindness in general, but he's like, is there anyone I can show God's kindness to? Is there anyone I can show God's grace? And Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. You can kind of read between the lines there what Ziba's saying. He's like, there is a son, yes. He's lame. David, he's not the kind of person you want walking around your throne room. He's lame. He's not exactly a picture of strength. He's not exactly the person you would want in your presence, in your house, David. Are you sure this isn't really someone you want around? That's kind of what he's, he's saying. And yet David's response really is mind-blowing. Verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. He doesn't even pause on this whole, he's lame in both feet. He, he just says, where is he? And Ziba answers, he's at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lo-Debar. Where is he? He looks right past his condition. He looks right past his disability. He sees none of that. He sees a promise he's made to Jonathan. He sees love for Jonathan and a commitment and faithfulness. And I think today we need to understand, if we're going to understand this story, that there, this decision is made not based on anything that this boy could ever offer. He has nothing to offer. He has nothing to give. He can't even walk. He probably can't even move without help. He brings nothing. There's nothing he could be proud of in the presence of a king. He can't walk. He's living in a place called Lodabar. This is a no man's land. This is a wilderness. He's hiding out. Lodabar, it's a name that literally means no pasture, no communication, no word. And yet a king's word goes out, doesn't it? And it meets him in Lodabar. That's grace. And it's the heart of a king that, that wants to show faithfulness and covenant love for the sake of Jonathan. So let's pick it up in verse 5. So King David had him brought in from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David says, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David. Can I just interrupt and just mention that Mephibosheth was afraid? 
he had been living in fear of David his entire life, and here he is, right, in the presence of the king. And yet the king's first word to him is Mephibosheth. He speaks his name, and then he says those powerful words, don't be afraid. And he begins to describe the transformation that's going to start to take place in his life. Doesn't grace begin to transform our life in a powerful way? Listen to this. I love what David says. He says, surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. It's nothing you've done. It's for the sake of Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth, he's overwhelmed, he bows down and he says, what's your servant? You should notice. A dead dog like me. I'm overwhelmed, David. Why would you do this? It makes no sense. Why would you care about me, David? And what the scripture tells us here is that when David looked at Mephibosheth. David didn't see a dead dog. David didn't see lame. David didn't see an enemy. David didn't see a lost boy from Lodabar. When David looked at Mephibosheth, David saw a son of Jonathan. He saw Jonathan's son. And for his covenant love to Jonathan and his faithfulness to that promise, he was going to pour out kindness on the life of this young man. For Jonathan's sake, he says, I will shower my love upon you. And it was an overwhelming expression of grace. And in that moment, everything changes. Verse 9. The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. <laughs> so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He ate at the table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Can you imagine the king saying, everything you've lost... I'm going to begin to restore. You're like the son of Jonathan. You're going to be like a son to me. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to be a part of my family. And you imagine the family coming together, and here comes Mephibosheth. And as one put it, person put it, and the tablecloth covered his feet. Isn't that a beautiful picture of grace? 
It's an amazing picture of grace. And what we see in the story is that it's actually a picture of God's grace for every one of us. And that's my first application today, is this is a picture of God's radical grace for every one of us in this room. We all need grace. We're all in massive, massive need of grace. For any one of us to stand in the presence of God, I mean, imagine in the presence of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what could any of us point to that would make us worthy of his love? What could any of us point to that would say, I'm deserving of your grace? We have nothing. There is nothing. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from his grace, I am a dead dog. I'm spiritually dead. I'm lost. I'm in low debar. I'm cut off from God. I'm in a land without hope. I'm without a word. I'm without a future. And then the Bible introduces this idea of grace. See, any of us before the glory of God, who could say, I deserve this? I couldn't. Who could, who could say, these are my achievements? This, this is why I deserve this. None of us. We're all helpless. We're all, all poor. We're all lame and broken by sin. We're all, if I can put it this way, we're all Mephibosheth. We're all in need of grace. And yet I love this. Not for Jonathan's sake, but, but for Jesus' sake. But for Jesus' sake, we've been invited into radical, radical grace. And because of Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins, the tablecloth covers our feet, doesn't it? And when God looks at you, you're no longer defined by what cripples you. He no longer sees you as just that Mephibosheth. He sees you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. That's how God sees you in Jesus Christ, and that's his grace. Because of Jesus, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we have an invitation to fellowship with the living God. Are you kidding me? How amazing is that? to sit at his table, and to be a part of his family. Not just for a moment, but forever. There's this hope of eternal life, and it is the promise that everything that has been lost will someday be restored. That's God's promise. He's going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He is going to restore everything that's lost. That is the hope of eternal life. And what do we say to such an invitation to grace. Oh, we just say, all right, who am I? Just like Mephibosheth, okay. And we surrender our life to the life of the king. Isn't that what Mephibosheth did? The Bible says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Grace is not something to be achieved. Grace is something to be received. Have you received the grace of God today? If you haven't, don't leave here today without simply reaching out by faith and receiving God's gift to you in an act of, I surrender 
to the life of the king. And my life is going to be wrapped up in your life because of Jesus the Son. And so today, there's an opportunity to let go of the old life and to begin a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And that's the gift of God. What an amazing gift. See, this is not just a story. This is a picture of God's radical grace for you and for me. But it's not just a picture. It's an example of how we can show the same radical grace to others. And that's the second application I want to make today. Do you guys remember David's question? 2 Samuel 9, 3. Is there anyone from Saul's family still alive to whom I could show the kindness of God? What's David saying? He's like, God, you've blessed me. You've been gracious to me. How can I pass that on to someone else? To whom can I show the kindness of God? That's the question on David's mind. And he takes that question very seriously. And the first person that pops in his head is, oh, Mephibosheth. And he begins to extend God's kindness to Mephibosheth. It's a powerful example, isn't it? And so what if you and I began to ask the same question today? To whom can I show the grace of God? To whom can I begin to show the kindness of God and the mercy of God? What name comes to your mind right now? Is there a person in your life? Man, David's like, okay, Mephibosheth, who is it in your life? Maybe it's uh, an elderly parent. And what you're thinking right now is grace. Man, that means being with him, being with her, showing her grace through this season. Maybe it's a child making the same mistakes over and over again and it's the grace to say we're going to grow through this season together and maybe it's not getting as impatient maybe you have someone in your life that's extra grace required that um, is very difficult hard to get along with and what if this week instead of getting frustrated or annoyed what if we began to allow the grace of God to flow through us into that person's life. To whom can I show the grace of God? Tim Keller, he's uh, a pastor in New York City. He tells a story about a woman who started attending his church. And uh, as pastors go, when somebody starts attending, you hear their story. And she began to tell her story. And uh, she, as she tells it to Tim Keller, she says, uh, she was at work and she made an awful mistake. It's the kind of mistake that you get fired for. And she was fully expecting her boss to come in and to fire her. And interestingly enough, instead of firing her, her boss chose to take the blame. Grace. She was so confused <laughs> by why he would do that. She began to press him. Why, she did, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Finally, he gave in and he said, I did it because I'm a Christian. And at the center of my faith is a guy named Jesus who died on the cross who took all the blame for my sins. That was it. She wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a churchgoer. Very next Sunday, she was at church. 
Isn't that the power of grace? Grace is so powerful. See, grace isn't just something we receive. Grace is something we share with others. It's what King David does with Mephibosheth. So the question that I'm sitting with here at the end is, is just, is there someone in your life to whom you can show unmerited favor and kindness? What's the person that comes to your mind? What's the name? Lock it in and begin to live it out. It's grace in everyday life. Think about our story today. We're wrapping up. David owes nothing to Mephibosheth. Any other king would have wanted Mephibosheth dead. Yet David just goes, how can I show him grace? It makes no sense. It defies all reason and logic. And that's what grace does. Such a picture of grace for every one of us who are, who are so undeserved and yet so loved by God. And that's just Jesus. So I want to encourage you today, trust Jesus, be amazed by his grace, but it doesn't stop there. How do we channel the grace of God to the people around us? Because when we'll, just like the story I told about Tim Keller, when we take the grace of God and we show it to another person, they get a glimpse of the grace of God for their life. And that's what's so cool when we show grace to others. It's tangible kingdom. And so I challenge you today, ask the question David asked, to whom can I show the grace of God? This isn't just an idea. This is a way of life. And what's so cool is when we make grace a part of our everyday lives, not only does it change our life, but we get to be a part of changing other people's lives too. That's the power of grace. Let me pray, and we'll, uh, we'll close in worship. Father, Thank you for this morning, and um, in this moment, we want to thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. We are unworthy. Before your presence, God, and your glory and your majesty, who am I? Who, who are we, Lord, to be so deserving? And yet, because of Jesus poured out kindness and grace on every one of our lives. And I just pray today that we would be amazed once again by grace. I pray for anyone who hasn't received your grace to not worry about achieving it, but to simply receive it today by grace as a gift. Lord, we surrender our lives to the King of glory. And I pray that you'll help us in difficult situations with hard people. Lord, give us the strength by your grace show the same grace to those around us. And I pray that through that, we would be able to see your kingdom expand. We pray we would see lives changed. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.